Welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans Who Love America, episode 66. <laughs> there might be some comedy tonight again, because it was like wildness. It was wildness erupted on the political scene today. And I don't know exactly what happened to kind of consolidate um, what I would say, geez, in my nearly 47 years uh, I think this is the most desperado that I've ever seen the Republican Party be. The most desperado. <laughs> like desperate beyond words. And it's so fascinating. And I'm trying to figure out exactly why it all culminated today. Because it's not like the Trump, you know, raid Mar-a-Lago thing hasn't been going on for days. But today was the pinnacle of desperado. We'll go through it. And uh, the only thing I can think of as why it, why it hit an epicenter of like a, 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 a huge spike in Desperado Republicans um, is that for the first time in forever, Biden got an increase in his approval ratings. <laughs> uh, which was curious, um, curious as to why that is. Because, you know, of course, we don't expect any of the Republicans to approve of Biden. We, we go, I mean, right, we're too polarized as a nation. I think some Republicans feel he's doing a decent job. They may not admit it, but I think they can see the laundry list of accomplishments. Um, at the same time, we don't expect them to, you know, approve <laughs> of him. Um, and 40% of Americans say they now approve of the president. 40%. So if we're a divided nation, which we are, 50-50, <coughs> and Biden went up to 40, and of course there's going to be that 10%, you know, the Bernie people, and there's no pleasing the burn burns. Like, they're going to be in mittens, frustrated forever with that, those mittens. And so, you know, there's no reaching them. Um yeah. So 40% in actuality is 50% if you discount the far left, <laughs> which is the highest he could go, I guess, if you want to break it down to that level, right? Um, and I'm just perplexed. Like he didn't get it. He didn't dye his hair. He didn't, you know, get the Gavin Newsom haircut. What has happened suddenly to boost the percentage? It's It's mesmerizing. And probably the Republicans are like, what? You know, what? You know, all this time we've enjoyed his toilet rating approval and now he's popular? <laughs> I think they just had a meltdown today on all things Republican. It was wild. And I mean, to, you would not believe how much I had to sort through to just even skim to this, which was so outrageous. Um, so I think I think that was it. I think the trigger was Biden finally got high approval. Uh, I don't know. What is the, you know, so we're all trying to figure it out. Democrats are trying to figure it out. We don't even know. <laughs> we're like, is it because of the gas prices that is now under $4, $4 a gallon in some places? Under four? If so, that's kind of, for a Democrat, that's really pathetic. You're going to really like just vote based on gas prices, like that is lame, 
you know, lame, if that's true. (laughs) But maybe it is. I mean, certainly gas prices is a universal thing that affects everybody. So, I mean, relatability, sure. But I mean, come on, Dems. Like, really, you're going to miss, you know, look aside to all of the other things that he's done to move the needle for the Democratic agenda. And you're just going to focus on your Chevron and your Shell and your Arco and what? Is this really who we are? I don't know. So it was like, slow clap. I don't know. Yay. I mean, he's just, you know, come in like a whirlwind with tons of, you know, progress he's done. And we'll go through it. And yet, I don't know. We don't know why suddenly our party president is popular now. It's it's bizarre. I mean, it's great, but it's weird. We don't know why. So Democrats are scratching their heads going, hmm? And Republicans are just falling apart. <laughs> oh, my God. Even my holdouts, Brett and Dana from Fox News, man. Oh, Brett didn't cave, but Dana, how could you? We'll go through it. Oh, she's usually like the most level-headed on the five. And she just sold out so bad, and I'm going to so bust her here. I mean, unfortunately, because I really think that Dana has a lot going for her, you know? Pretty objective. She she, she tries to rise above the smarmy, which is like everywhere on Fox. And Brett, too. Brett is of a high caliber. Get to know those names. Dana and Brett. They should be the two highest paid people there, in my view. Um. But even Dana, yeah, tanked. I don't know. Pressure? Who knows? Not all Republicans are in favor of this, I mean, bizarre codependent relationship with Trump. Um, No, some of them called it out. Some of them reminded their own party, like, we are for the party of law enforcement, aren't we? (laughs) That was nice. In reference to the FBI. And... I have answers to that, which is, you know, there's never going to go a time where you can ever go back Republicans to before January 6th. You have to understand the far reaching implications of January 6th and how it will forever shape your party. And you will never get to go back. And that is due to Trump. And that is due to the radicalized far left. That will go to an FBI office and, you know, threaten and be forced to be killed and, you know, will commit insurrections and will be violent and will threaten and do all this like banana republic tactics, if you want to use that. It's not the government that's banana republic. It's Trump's followers. And guess what? They're not leaving. They're staying. And you're going to have to deal with them for the rest of your life. Because he so has persuaded them. And a lot of them are Confederate legacy Republicans, the people that have ancestry in the Civil War. And yeah, it's going to shape your party. Now, there's a lot more of the rational Republicans than there are of the radicalized Republicans. But the rational Republicans have to really start to be loud enough to counter the radicalized, just like my party. The centrists have to be loud enough to counter our radical far left, right? 
It's it's two mirrors going on here. I mean, wow. It was just, I was like, how do I even dive into everything? I could do this whole hour on the Trump parade again. More information on this. So we don't know what's going on with Trump. I mean, sorry, with Biden's polls, but I do think that's the catalyst for all of what went down. Okay, I guess, do we just dive in with Dana? What do we do? Let's see, there's so many things. I could talk about Republican general issues. Okay, where is the whole thing I did on just the Trump stuff? Oh, yeah, it's just massive. I think I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do the all the other stuff first, and then we'll either run out of time and I'll do another episode with just the Trump updates from the Mar-a-Lago raid. Again, every day there's new info, um, which sheds light on things. Yeah, I think I want to do that. So let's start in with Dana Perino, P-E-R-I-N-O, of Fox News to pay for the reduction, the Inflation Reduction Act. They had to find the money somewhere. She says, Dana Perino and the co-hosts of The Five discussed how IRS has been given more power with the Inflation Reduction Act to target Americans that make under $400,000 a year. Well, that's absolutely a lie. That's not what the Inflation Reduction Act clearly says. It says clearly over $400,000. You would think, well, that must be a typo. Oh, no, she talks about it. I'm going to read her little transcript here because there's no point in the video. Dana Perino, well, I think I'm not going to denigrate the members of the IRS. I'm just saying that the IRS commissioner, this is by the way, Fox News, if you wanted to know, the IRS commissioner is going to come out tomorrow and have a press conference and demand that we take back any insults to the IRS agent. (laughs) She was joking there. The number one negative aspect of Build Back Better when they did the focus group was the IRS portion. And now I think Democrats are having some regret going all in on this IRS deal because we have proof, nonpartisan proof, that you are five times more likely to be audited the less wealthy you are. This goes, I've never heard of this. I don't see any proof that she's saying. Never heard of that. Um, this goes on. Okay, no, maybe I'll, okay, I have a counter argument to that, but let's go on here. This goes on. Poor and middle class taxpayers and the Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho put forth an amendment where they were announcing this bill saying, can we put the, into law that no one under, that no one making under 400000 a year will get audited every Democrat voted no. I don't know that that's true either. Why would they want to vote now? Because in order to pay for Inflation Reduction Act, they had to find the money somewhere. Where the money is going to come from, it's going to come from you and going to come from these audits. That's what they have to do. They'll be coming back pretty soon. But basically, they're trying to audit the poor to buy the rich electric vehicles. So first off, complete poppycock. And we'll we'll read the, the Democratic rebuttal to that. But let's just talk about common sense and basic. So where is your proof, Dana? You, if you have proof, nonpartisan proof, as you want to say, you know, you have to cite that. 
in maybe one reference. You don't cite that in one reference. Now, she's kind of correct, and she's saying that it's typically five more times to be audited than the less wealthy you are. Yeah, you know why that is, Dana? Because you know why? Because there's been a lot of loopholes for the upper wealthy that often the Republican Party is representing to not have to get audited because they've been crafty enough to go through lots of loopholes, right? And so, sure, what's left? People that aren't as wealthy, that don't have those loopholes, are easier fodder. Agreed. Okay, so I better take her point, be devil's advocate here, and say, sure. However, the whole point of the Inflation Reduction Act is that they are closing the loopholes now because they are putting more IRS people out there to specifically target the $400,000 and higher earners. So she's using old data that she says is nonpartisan proof. We have proof. She doesn't list any proof at all. Not even one reference, not one single bit of proof in this little um, interview with the five. So the point being, you know, sure, from the old mindset of letting the rich get away with all these loopholes, and by the way, we have plenty of rich Democrats, plenty of rich Democrats, plenty. Okay, so it's not just Republicans, okay, but I'm saying the whole point of the Inflation Reduction Act is that it is changing the rules to finally hold the wealthy to become more accountable and have to start to pay more of their fair share. Why? Because now there's going to be empowered amount of agents that can tackle that backlog and will have the auditing power and the backing of the president to go ahead and go forth. So, you know, in no way has the Democratic Party ever presented the Inflation Reduction Act as targeting the $400,000 or less. It's never been talked about. It's never been said. It's been the opposite that has been talked about that has been said. That is there. So Dana was using old patterns as a manipulation with this new Inflation Reduction Act to try to skew the narrative and appeal to what I call trailer park Republicans. People that don't have money, that have their flags on their trailers, that are disenfranchised because of the economic divide, but are loyal to the Republican Party for other reasons, military, religious, but certainly not financial. Okay, so no, Joe Biden's not coming for trailer park Republicans making under $400,000 a year. Your research, your research, your research does not apply to this new deal. So it was just a, it was just lies, lies, and I expect more from Dana Perino. That was a misconstrued argument. It was desperate. This is desperado case number one here. Um, and okay, say you don't believe me. Say you're like Freya. No, I think they are going to come for the the poor people. They say they want to close the loopholes. They say they want to do the rich, but it's probably really going to be the poor. Okay. So if you believe that, then you have to look at, you know, when one person's saying you're lying and the other person says you're lying, then all you have to do is look at the track record of both parties. So let's just say that Dana's right and I'm wrong. Okay. So what is my party's legacy? What is the Republican Party's legacy in terms of the poor? Let's see. Who are, who's the party of unions? Hmm. 
Who likes the unions? All right, that would be my party. What does unions do? It guarantees a great cost of living. Worker rights. Guaranteed increases. Yeah. Republicans? No, they're anti-union. They'll use you. They want to have a lot of low-wage workers. And most of the people that get bonuses and really get a lot of money are at the top, 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 top percent. So unions are the legacy of the Democratic Party, Dana. That what? Secure, often, the lower to middle income class, not the high class, not the, not the upper class, not those making millions of dollars or even half a million dollars equivalent over time, okay? My party has the track record of looking out for the poor, not yours. So when you get confused, folks, about a given issue and who's right, who's wrong, step back and go, well, what's the party legacy about this? Then you'll see it. So no, we're going but basically they're trying to audit the poor to buy rich electric cars. I mean, who has said that in my party? No. And by the way, we're getting less enfranchised with electric cars by the very minute. So I just want to put it out there to the Republicans. Electric cars can be appealing to some degree. It's better than, you know, nothing, but it's not much better. We're getting a little bit more interested in hydrogen. Because my hydrogen bus that I ride every day does a darn good job. So don't think we're so overly fixated on electric cars. It's the quick grab right now. It doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. We just want something that's going to be non-polluting and renewable and not cause us to be dependent on foreign oil, right? Or China and the batteries. That's just equally as bad. So um, I wouldn't get so worried that we're so married to electric cars, right? And I actually don't like electric cars. So, yeah. Yeah, disappointing, Dana. I just would have expected more from you. I feel like you know the legacy of our parties. You don't have to try to skew the narrative to fool, you know, unknowledgeable Republicans in your party to think that we're after their money. Are you kidding me with this? Okay, now my backup proof. We're going to go through it. What is my proof? Source point. I, I actually have proof. She has, like, saying that she has proof, and she doesn't cite one thing. I want to put up what California is doing about... The fast food workers. Oh, yeah, they make so much money, Dana. The fast food workers. California fast food worker bill faces key test Thursday. Now, is California Republican state? Well, we do have a lot of Republicans. Yes, that's true. But we're also, you know, overall a blue state. California fast food worker bill faces key test Thursday. California bill that's pitted food workers against the franchises and giant companies that employ them will face a key legislative test in the state Senate Appropriations Committee Thursday. Assembly Bill 257, known as the Fast Food Accountability Recovery Act, would create a state council to negotiate on behalf of California's more than half a million fast food workers. The bill would affect any food chain that has more than 30 establishments nationwide. Food workers say change is needed. Support of the bill have said despite California's already existing strict labor laws, fast food workers have been subject to low wages, wage theft, 
unsafe working conditions that put them at increased risk of burns and other injuries. This bill is sponsored by California's powerful label group, Service Employees International Union, SEIU. For the past three, oh, union, right, Dana? Union. Union does what now? Does it protect the wealthy making over? No, it doesn't. Is that my party? Right. Okay. For the past three years, I had been working without 10-minute breaks because I didn't know we had the right to that, said Maria Fernandez, a Sacramento area jack-in-the-box employee who said she'd been working there for five years. She described difficulties working in the summertime among hot appliances coupled with broken air conditioning. I can't imagine that in Sacramento. It's so freaking hot there and humid. It's like burning your flesh. She said alone, just the weather. She said, COVID-19 pandemic presented another set of concerning working conditions. We found out the people were sick at work. Manager told us it was fine. Double mask, keep working. And to specifically not tell anyone. But they're preparing your food. Fernanda said, Fernandez is also the mother of a five-year-old son who told her that he wants to work at Jack in the Box. To that, she said, if he's going to do that, she'd want to make sure he's good paid benefits before making that decision. We put our life into these jobs. They should be doing something for us, Fernanda said. Crystal Orozco said she worked at the same restaurant before leaving a McDonald's, also in Sacramento area. She said while working for Jack in the Box, her hours were cut after striking for better wages and working conditions. Even working at McDonald's, you see the intimidation of how they put down the workers just to keep the workers in check and have it their way. Orozco said, you're still going to get punished by having your hours taken away. In a statement Wednesday night, the bill's author, Assemblyman Member Chris Holden, Democrat Pasadena, said in part, this bill sets a tone for industry-wide inclusive approach to problem solving, including franchisers, franchisees, employee representative stakeholders. Former franchisee, I view these bills to start a conversation to solve issues we can't afford to ignore. AB 257 only continues a legacy with all the stakeholders at the stakeholders at the table. Country's highest minimum wage and California worker protection health mandates. Opponents say the state should set up enforcement. Opponents of the bill noted Fernando's, Fernandez and Orozco's experiences of violations of current state law. Proponents of the bill are saying they're trying to address violations of labor law, like wage theft, meal, and rest break violations. These are violations of existing law. Greg Plin. Greg Flynn, a franchise of 24 Banera Bread restaurants in Northern California. What's needed is enforcement of those laws. Flynn said if approved, this bill would create rules that are more onerous, difficult, expensive for franchises like him to comply with. He said increased costs will be passed on to customers. Our margins, our profits have gone down from 9 to 3.5%, barely hanging on. And when I think of the creation of state council, it's designed to specifically add more costs. I don't know if we can make it. Flynn, who said his job was at McDonald's, said chain restaurants represent one of the greatest engines of entry-level jobs, and said this bill could threaten those opportunities. They always say that. You can say fast food, you need to pay $30 an hour. You can say that, but do you know what we'll do? We'll get rid of as many entry-level... Well, they're already doing that. They're putting robots in McDonald's. When you walk in, it's all computers. So you're already doing this. Nonsense. We'll get rid of as many entry-level jobs as we can. We'll have to. We'll automate. You're already doing this. It's already been doing. You, you know... <laughs> You're acting as if, well, if we have to. It's already happening, dude. And those kids won't get their foot in the ladder. John Condy, the president of CEO of California Restaurant Association, said the bills unnecessary would decimate the industry. You know, anti-union always says it'll decimate. And, you know, it just never does. It just gives it much more equity and equality. Equity, not equality. What am I saying? So they're like, mah, mah, mah. so it's big business, you know, the managers and the and the big chain operators that are making the bucks. 
And it's the people that are actually serving you the burgers who get their wages cut if, or in terms of hours if they dare strike for something better, if they want to have a basic life, you know, not a, not a grandiose, not going to be shopping at Whole Foods for heaven's sake. They'll be going to grocery outlet, right? But at least have some extra money to maybe have more than just a subsistence lifestyle, right? And whose party is behind this to try to give them more than just a subsistence lifestyle since they're automating anyway. They are auto I can say how many McDonald's I've peeked in and there's machines inside, not just you know drive-through stuff. Probably drive-through jobs are more secure. But it's more dangerous. There's been so many scary articles about everybody in fast food and drive-through. I think they should be given like combat pay or something, right? It's been weird. They've been like at gunpoint and people coming in through the windows and just all kinds of crazy stuff at the drive-throughs. I think they should be given a bonus, you know. The point is, is that automation's already happening. And it's not increasing the workers' quality at all. While the big, big McDonald's, you know, CEOs are making how many millions and billions? A lot. So the old argument is always, well, it'll cut jobs if we treat workers decently. Well, you've been saying that since the old days. And, you know, that's the Republican Party's platform. Historically, my party's platform, the Democrats, have been looking out for the little guy and the little lady and the little them. And, you know, the, you know we, we, we care about some basic standards, you know. We're not saying these people are going to go out and buy Rolls Royces like the, you know, CEOs. We just think they should be able to get you know, a decent Prius, maybe, or something, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's not that much, if you think about it. So I'm just going to say to Dana, this whole thing's been about Dana, is, <laughs> you know, look at the legacy. We're out there for the definitely less than $400,000 a year people. This is, this is standard democratic issue here of advocating for the fast food workers, advocating for the little people, right? The low people on the totem pole. So I would just say, Dana, you know, you need to, you need to get it together. Okay, there we are. We're done with Dana's brow beating now. She's usually so good. It was just very disappointing to see that. So what about Biden? What does he have to say? about the IRS controversy that's not a controversy. <sighs> Washington Examiner, another conservative, okay, Byron York. Biden promises we won't use beefed up IRS against you. Biden promises we won't use BFF beefed up IRS against you. Republicans and conservatives have loudly protested a Democratic plan to expand IRS vastly and especially enforced arm with an infusion of $80 billion, including the misleading named Inflation Reduction Act. The $80 billion is, by many accounts, far more than the IRS needs. And the Republicans are suspicious of how it'll be spent. It'll be spent investigating the upper rich. Last year, the Treasury Department said the money would be used to hire 86,852 new IRS employees over the next 10 years. The largest group of them assigned to auditing Americans' tax returns. 
87,000 new IRS agents, they're coming for you, but they're coming for the 1%. Now, Biden administration feels are pushing back, though it's not clear whether they'll allay any fears. The administration of Democrats in Congress maintain the IRS enforcement will only target the wealthy tax cheats. Yeah. They are going to attack the wealthy tax cheats. Don't you think these super rich billionaire, billionaire, millionaire, trillionaire that have gotten away with not paying their fair share of taxes forever should be held to account and pay their tariff? Yeah. Yes. So Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. You know, it's not traditional form of inflation, but it's like inflation relief from the upper rich finally freaking paying their fair share. Okay. I like that idea about it. That's the phrase that like to use wealthy tax cheats. Sometimes they define wealthy as those making more than $400,000 a year. Yeah, typically Biden has done, has definitely defined that. A group that runs for reasonably successful doctors on the lower end of the scale all the way up to Jeff Bezos. Sometimes Democrats say they're really targeting millionaires and billionaires. A phrase made by famous by millionaire, by a millionaire Senator Bernie Sanders. Yes, he's always been very much against um, letting the upper rich get away with all these tax breaks and pay no taxes like Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos. Elizabeth Warren, too, has been out, um, after that. But the words are left in nagging suspicion. Are there really enough millionaires and billiards to occupy 87,000 new IRS employees? It's not so much that. I'm going to just interject. It's just it, millionaires and billionaires have more complicated tax returns than the fast food workers that the Democrats are trying to look after to make sure they can shop decently at grocery outlet. Their tax returns are going to be very simple because they're not going to own very many assets. It's not going to be very complicated, right? They're not going to have multiple properties, they're going to drive a Prius maybe and shop at, you know, grocery outlet and maybe get some nice Christmas presents for their kids and, you know, just have a basic, decent, lower to middle class, lower upwardly mobile, somewhat middle class life, right? Simpler ta- tax returns. But the wealthy are going to have super complicated, multiple properties, depreciation, blah, 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 on and on. Yeah, you're going to need a lot of people because they're going to take a lot of time and a lot of resources to do proper audits for all of that drama. Okay, are there even enough, or they're gonna tag team multiple agents on one return, right? Okay, are there even enough reasonable successful doctors? Won't a lot of people in the middle class end up being audited? No, they won't. Because you know why Joe Biden counts on our votes, that's why. has written and made public a letter to Charles Reagan, IRS commissioner, who, of course, works for her. The purpose of the letter is to ensure public will not increase its audits of non-rich citizens. I write today to confirm commitment that has been guiding precept of the planning you and your team are undertaking. The audit rates will not rise relevant years for households making under $400,000 annually, Yellen wrote. Yeah, no, they're not lying. You know, Biden's not pulling a fast one. We are tired, and Bernie, too, of the upper rich not paying their fair share. Now, whether you're a low-paid doctor, whether you are a Jeff Bezos, you know, that's for the tax people to decide on what your percentage equals your fair share, right? Your tax bracket and so so forth. What Bernie has run on forever is tax the rich, aka make them pay their fair share because they're doing too many loopholes. And they're using the complexity of the system 
to exhaust. So sure, you're going to go for the low bearing fruit of the middle class normally when you don't have enough IRS workers. Obviously, government has to pay its bills, of course. But now we've infused, you know, three, you know, uh, three quarters of a hundred thousand new IRS to have the time to tag team these big cats and go, no, we're actually going to close those loopholes. No, you're actually going to pay your fair share. You're in America. You're profiting. You're doing very well because you're in America. You may or may not have served in the military. You're allowed to become super uber wealthy because of often the military that fought for you that doesn't make that much money. And you're going to pay your fair share. Now, why Dana, the five, you know, they're making what, $200,000, $250,000 on Fox, if that? Okay, if they're married, then maybe double if they have a you know, decent paying job. They're borderline in this, in this tax bracket of like 400000 borderline, probably less, right? And so it's not even them. It's their CEOs of Fox and other people, you know? And by the way, did I just mention there are a lot of rich Democrats? And by the way, more than happy to pay their fair share, okay, including Bernie. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's not like the Democrats are not going to be able to, they're going to have to fork it over too, but they're more than willing. Now, why are they more than willing? Because we care. And we're grateful to be in this country to be able to be wealthy. And it's the obligation to give back, of course. Yes. Typically, the ones that don't want to do that are Republicans who want to just give to their select charities. Nothing wrong with charity. But, you know, also to certain, you know, across the board groups like taxes. Okay. Yeah. There is not going to be Biden and Kamala going after the fast food workers, for heaven's sake. That's in the Republicans' hands, and we're going to fight that, too, with this. Okay, so you get the point. Now let's do one more article on this IRS, if not two. People Magazine, Virginia Chamelees. Yes, the IRS has more funding for audits, but Americans making less than 400000 are not the target. Republican lawmaker lambasts the Biden administration of a new plan of earmarks some $78 billion of the IRS over the next decade. Department of Treasury is pushing back, saying that funding won't be used to expand audits of households making less than four hundred grand. Package that survived roughly $78 billion for the IRS, an investment in 2021 Treasury Department that will be able to hire about 87,000 employees and raise $700 billion in addition tax revenue over the next day. So he's improving jobs with 87,000 new jobs. And who's paying for it? Yeah, that's right. Jeff Bezos and his crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who's going to um, pay their fair share finally and be forced to? This is something Elizabeth Warren's talked about. She's like going for Jeff Bezos every five minutes. Well, he's going to have to finally pay. That's that. Oh, and he had like a freak out today. Wasn't it him or the guy of the CEO of Whole Foods today? I thought it was him because isn't it the same company? Doesn't Amazon own Whole Foods? Anyway, the the ironically... 
the same night as this article came out, Whole Foods uh, CEO is saying that Democrats are turning everything socialist. It's like, no, we just want the upper rich to finally pay their fair share. That's fair. The lower class and the middle class have always paid the highest tax bracket. It keeps them down. The upper, upper, upper have never paid their fair share. It keeps them up. We want to do what? Bring the two together to what? Facilitate the upwardly mobile middle class so you can go from lower class to middle class to upper class. That's the American dream. Come here with nothing or become from nothing and work hard and become something, but get help along the way too. But work hard. Fast food workers work hard. Right? I'm not saying Jeff Bezos doesn't work hard, but I'm saying, you know, the fast food workers paying way higher tax bracket in terms of percentage wise than Jeff Bezos is. That's messed up. Okay? Just saying. And the veterans, by the way, too. Okay. The 87,000 new hires won't be all IRS agents, and any new agents wouldn't target anyone other than those making 400,000 a year. It's been saying over and over and over. They're addressing the shortfall and addressing tax avoidance by the wealthiest Americans. Exactly. And is Joe Biden also appealing to the Bernie voters? 100%. Yeah. Will they thank him? No. Because <laughs> there's no appeasing the far left. Even if you give them all, all of what they want, they're going to be mad. So we know that, but we still try to throw olive branches. Okay. New personnel auditors should not be used to increase the share of small business or households below 400000 So, you know, yeah. This is an army to finally make the upper rich pay their fair share. That's fair. Okay. So a lot of the freak out, as I call it, by Republicans today, Joe Biden getting the higher percentage in his polls, finally. The IRS coming for the wealthy, finally. They're just coming apart at the seams. But, you know, it's, it's fair. Fair is fair is fair is fair. And just because, by the way, Republicans upper, no, I'm not talking about the trailer part Republicans, the upper Republicans, you know, just because you've gotten away with it for so long doesn't entitle you to continue to get away with it for so long. It doesn't because you have and because you've worked the system and because it's been funky and because not enough people have, you know, Bernie is the sounding board for this issue, I will say. Okay. But it doesn't mean because you've gotten away with it for so long that you're entitled to continue to get away with it forever. No. So, you know. Okay, so I can delete this one now. Okay, what other non... We're gonna, I'm going to dedicate the whole other episode to the Trump stuff because it's so much... Okay, let's talk about... Let's talk about migrant. Nope. Yeah, let's talk about migrants. Migrantes. I don't know if that's a word, but I just like saying the migrantes. <laughs> 
San Fernando Valley Sun. Federal court approves unprecedented settlement with U.S. Border Patrol on behalf of detained minors. Wednesday. It's been three years in the making, but at last, federal judge Dolly G. in Los Angeles recently gave final approval to a detailed settlement setting the standards for conditions of detention of accompanied and unaccompanied minors in El Paso and Rio Grande. These sections of the U.S. Border Patrol in Texas account for 85% of all detained minors. The settlement will bring an end to the appalling, sometimes deadly detention policies the Trump administration adopted against thousands of vulnerable immigrant children. President Trump's cruel and senseless policies terrorized thousands of detained immigrant children, remember kids in cages, causing unnecessary suffering and trauma they may never overcome, said Peter Shea. Ripped from their parents' arms, remember that? The little girl and the teddy bear in the diapers. President of the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, Shea, is also the lead counsel who negotiated the agreement. There was public backlash when media images captured children being separated from their parents and cramped conditions they were forced to. Worse, it was learned that children were ill and dying and victims of sexual abuse. Um, President Trump's forced separation of children from parents and mass detention is unsafe and unsanitary cages was a stain on moral fabric of this nation. And the settlement now approved by the court will at least prevent his cruel and shameful policies from being repeated by the Biden administration, says Shea. Yeah, to be fair, this could have happened under a Democratic watch, too. Probably not likely, but could have. So it's it's good to make sure that no other administration can do this. In an interview with Sandra Bonanda Valley, son... Shea said there are currently 10,000 immigrant children in custody of the federal government. Shea explains that these children are all accompanied minors apprehended by border control, border patrol and then transferred to the custody of offices of refugee resettlement, which is part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. These minors are detained until they can be placed with relatives here in the U.S. Approximately a year and a half ago, we were successful in convincing the Biden administration to end policies of both the Obama administration and Trump administration and detained occupied minors with their parents. Biden administration agreed to bring promptly release parents of these parents with minor children. That population is now being released by the Border Patrol once they have been processed by Border Patrol. Okay, I'm going to sum up now because it's getting long. It was filed by lawyers with the Los Angeles Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law who argued that the Trump administration's mass detention of children violated the terms of a 1997 settlement they had reached with a government requiring the immigrant children be detained in safe and sanitary conditions. The center was presented evidence that children at Border Patrol facilities were not provided with soap, clean, and dry clothing, regular showers, toothbrushes, or towels. Alleged the bathroom facilities are filthy and there's no soap to wash their hands after the toilet. Their evidence includes declarations that children and infants were forced to wear soiled clothing. The food provided children was inadequate and inedible. Children were often forced to sleep on a cold concrete floor, and the flu and other sicknesses were rampant. But this was no access to emergency medical care. Now, if you have a heart, you should be feeling it if you're cold-hearted, right? And, I mean, talk about Christian here. Talk about a check. Um, the settlement requires the Border Patrol treat minors in custody with the dignity, respect, and special concern for their particularly vulnerable as minors. And it places each detained minor in at least restrictive setting appropriate to the class member's age and special needs. So share. It also requires that except when operational and feasible, minors apprehended with an adult family member shall remain with that family member during the time in custody. 
For the first time, the settlement that we've reached sets out very detailed standards protocols for conditions of detention. Settlement sends forth conditions which include a wide range of criteria, medical exams, treatment, emergency medical treatment, blankets, mats, temperature controls, um, adequate age-appropriate nutritious meals, change of clothing, access to the hygiene products, access to showers, wide range of protocols. The Border Patrol will have to follow at least in its station sections in the Texas area, said Shai. The settlement will be the national standards, or at least standards that must be followed by border control facilities, facilities in Texas for both the accompanied and unaccompanied minors. Yep. The settlement now requires the border patrol agents to be trained regarding agreements terms and display a poster showing a video to minors describing their rights and requires the minors or accompanying relatives be provided a list of local free legal services. It also requires appointment of an independent medical monitor, and parties have agreed on expert Dr. Paul Weiss, professor of Stanford University, who specializes in healthcare involving large numbers of vulnerable children. Parents detained with infants must be provided fresh items such as swaddly blankets and diapers. These major changes should go into effect in the next couple weeks. They plan to initiate monitoring of facilities in Arizona and California. If we determine that there are violations of a 97 settlement, we would then be able to go to the government and prepare a motion to the court challenge these conditions. All children deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and special concern for their unique vulnerability. Yeah, they're kids and they're caught in the crossfire. And if you have a human heart, you're going to want some basic standards like what the Democrats are putting forward here in this. Um, This is not a Republican-sponsored initiative here, Dana. Um, You know, to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Now, I would think evangelicals would be jumping for joy because Republican evangelicals were some of the most outspoken against these levels of cruelty. And I was glad to see that. Um, in the Republican Party. Jesus became a focus for a little bit on that. And they were, and their church leaders and their churches, very, very outspoken against Trump for these kind of deplorable conditions. Again, kids, babies, infants, toddlers, children are caught in the crossfire. They're kids. They're not adults making decisions. They're kids that don't have decisions. And um, the kind of conditions that were described here could be found maybe in the working camps of a Xinjiang, you know, prison uh, concentration camp. Uh, Quite honestly, are we that? Republicans, is that what America is? Are we no better than a Chinese government of the Chinese Communist Party Xinjiang concentration camp when it comes to this? So I'm just saying... I'm not going to let you forget what we do. And when you say, I don't understand why Democrats don't love America. I mean, we do love America. This is why we put the effort forward to progress in these ways. It's coming from love. It's coming from love for innocence. It's love. That's a love action that just happened there. But what else? The, The veterans, that was a love action. So many love actions. Yeah, we suck at actually using words of affirmation like, I love you, America. We, we need to do more of that. Agreed. But we, you cannot say we don't love America when we're putting forth all of these bills to show that we love America. 
And yes, we also need to put forth the language of we love America. We're going to continue to make it better. Probably a lot of the reason that Democrats aren't as vocal as Republicans about loving America and bathing with the flag every minute is because I think we think if we say we love America and if we say we love this country, it almost like infers that it's all good. Everything's fine. We don't need to change anything. It's all perfect. God, aren't we fabulous? America number one and, you know, USA, USA, USA. And then it kind of can have this uh, understanding of, okay, and we don't have to work toward making it better. So I'm going to just throw that out there as a possible reason for why my party doesn't language words of affirmation of, I love America. I'll say it. I love America. I love this country. I don't want to live anywhere else. I love it. I'm not afraid of saying it. I'm embarrassed of saying it. I say the Pledge of Allegiance. I celebrate Fourth of July. I love it. Love it, love it. But when I say I love it, it, it isn't with, uh, and nothing needs to change. We're all good. It, it's definitely like, no, lots needs to change. Definitely to keep up with, you know, our allied governments for one and their standard of living, which is a concern on every dumb's mind, which typically is not a concern on most Republicans' mind. Yeah, they're typically more isolationists and typically not as concerned with keeping up with our allied government standard of living. But we are very much globally making checks and balances also to make sure we're not, you know, turning into, you know, one of the countries south of ours, one of the one of the multitude. We want to make sure that our standard of living is climbing on par with our allied governments militarily in terms of the quality. That's also love, right? But yeah, no, we don't verbalize it as much as the Republicans do. It's a simple thing. It's free to say, I love America. We should say it more. I agree. We should have the flag demonstrated more. I agree. I I understand the disconnect there, but we do love America and you can see it in our actions. And you can see it in our progress. And you can see it in what... And sure, we try things and they bomb. You know, defund the police, huge flop and failure. San Francisco kicked it out first. It didn't work. And we're like, we're not having this. And we ousted the DA who wanted to try all these other, you know, ways of curbing crime. And it was not effective. So, you know, it's okay to try things and fail. And we own it. And other cities are also starting to own it. Seattle was next, Portland's still holding out. But no, I mean, if things don't work, we'll admit it. We bombed on defund the police, 100%. Yeah, but, you know, you still try things. And most things we try work, not everything. Okay. What else about the migrantes? (laughs) I just love saying that. Sorry, I do. It's fun. Like accents. Oh, well. D.C., okay, this little pissing war between the governor of Texas and the mayor of New York. It's kind of lame, you know, because, okay, so Republicans really, like, had a cow over, how could you say that Texas Governor Abbott is un-American when he's shipping thousands of migrants to New York? So you got to remember it's New York. He's not shipping them to like Pennsylvania or like 
or like Delaware or like Ohio. He's shipping them to New York. Republicans, I'm going to deep break. I'm going to break it down for you. So what does New York have is like, I don't know, the most recognizable symbol in New York besides the Empire State Building. <gasps> the Statue of Liberty. I lift my lamp behind the golden door, besides the golden door. And oh, hopes and dreams of Ellis Island and coming here as an immigrant to New York and all the romantic grandeur of Ellis Island and the processing center and come to New York. And that was the welcome mat of come to America. Yes, come here. But Ellis Island had a processing center and Ellis Island is not what's going on at the border. So, you know, we can't necessarily equivalent, you know, we can't compare the Ellis Island immigration to what's going on, you know, in our Arizona and Texas borders. No, because that's not a thoughtful processing system like Ellis Island, right? But why that Eric Adams said, oh, it's so un-American for Texas to ship and Arizona to, to bus, not to ship, to bus um, people to New York is because it doesn't seem welcoming. At the same time, that's crappy because Texas and Arizona can't welcome when there's like a stampede going on. I mean, in terms of the volume, if it was a trickle, then yeah, guess what? For most of my life, it's been a trickle. Everybody remembers whatever party you're a part of. And suddenly it became a deluge and an overriding deluge. And then not only that, but with the drugs as well. And it's a problem and the fentanyl trafficking and all this. So it is a crisis. You know, Texas is right. And so is Arizona. They're having a crisis and they're getting deluge and deluge, not a trickle anymore. Deluge, 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 deluge. They don't feel supported by the federal government at all. And so, you know, it took them long enough to think of this idea of the busing. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do it before. And I wonder if Biden's strategy was holding out until they realized, why don't we just bus them to New York? What are they going to do? They're going to take them. That's what they're going to do. They're going to take them. So they're taking them. There's mixed reviews about that, but that's where the, oh, oh, that's not American comment came from. They're thinking of Statue of Liberty in New York. They're thinking of the romance that. They're not thinking of the practicality of taking on that many at once. So I do sympathize to some degree with with Texas Governor Abbott um, in Arizona because the volume that they're getting is a crisis. You can't roll a welcome mat out when someone just busted the house down in the windows and are coming through and there's no more house now. And then now they're going to your neighbors and doing that and the next and the next because of the volume of the people. The volume, just the sheer numbers. Seriously, just that. So Texas is desperate and scared and, you know, there's people standing in their yards that they don't know and there are drug issues that are seriously a problem down there in the border. And, you know, so Texas, you know, decided to bust them up. I I appreciate that as a Democrat. You know why? Because, listen, if we're going to have these grandiose situations, then we have to see it play out in action. I agree. You know? How does it feel for New York to be inundated suddenly with massive amounts of migrants? It, it's a little bit of a taste of what Texas has been through for this entire time. <laughs>
It's a little bit of a taste for what Arizona. So once you have that commonality of experience, you can get out of theory and go, oh, but this is experience now. So how do we manage that? So they want to call in the National Guard. Okay. I mean, Texas did ask for that too in Arizona and we're, they, it fell on deaf ears. So, you know, this is a problem. Again, okay, we could build the wall, but that's eminent domain and that's going to go across quite a lot of ranchers. So I don't know that everybody in the ranching community down in Texas and Arizona is ready to sign on for their property to be, you know, spliced and diced. Are they getting paid for that? Do they get a tax break for the wall? Because it seems like the wall is not being talked about. So what are the solutions? You know... I just wanted to clear that part up. D.C. Mayor Muriel Browser asked National Guard again to help deal with migrants. So yeah, D.C. too, taking them. And by the way, the people of D.C. and New York aren't anti-immigrant. They're welcoming, but there's logistical issues to manage, sure. Yeah, and they do need help for that, and they're asking for help. And So is Texas and Arizona wrong to ship people to these places? I, th- I don't think they're wrong. I think they tried it the nice way. They weren't getting anywhere. Um, And so the next thing is just to put them in the people's backyards that are claiming to want them. And let's see how they manage it. Yeah. No, I I actually think it's it's actually fine. We do need solutions for this. And they're not always going to please everybody. And they're not always going to be 100% great. But, I mean, people do need to start to empathize with situations by experience. So I, I, I think it's very interesting. Um, so much more. American teen allegedly caught at the border with enough fentanyl to kill 3 million people. 16 pounds. American teen drug running the border. I mean, the drug issues are a problem. Fed say San Diego region epicenter of fentanyl trafficking. San Diego close to the border. You know, that's just on on our side there. Um, It's a mess. I mean, and I don't know that anyone has the full answer on what to do about the border. Trump said build a wall and have Mexico pay for it and remain in Mexico. You know, but never talked about eminent domain. Never talked about the logistics of how that would actually go down, which was deceptive to the Republican landowners that live along there. So, you know, some funding was given and then not. He was there for years. The wall did not get finished. And my party was against it, sure. Um, in principle, and also, but also my party was against it just because anything Trump was going to be the polar opposite, which is, you know, knee-jerk and not well thought out. I will admit that my party, anything Trump said, if he said it was day, it's night. If he said it was black, it's white. It's, yeah. And that was not a, that was foolish of my party to do that. Okay. Newark says it welcomes migrants. The reality is more complicated. Yeah. So they're going to try to enfranchise the local citizens now of these DC and New York to help absorb. They're going to try different things. Um, Texas Hispanics want more border security and less illegal migration. 
Yep, 40% of Hispanic vote in 2004. Did Republican do as well with Hispanics as President Donald Trump did in 2020? Yeah. Trump had the Hispanic vote for these very issues, if you were wondering. One could say, well, they should be more compassionate. They've been through it. Well, there's the reality. Okay. I'm going to run out of time here, so I'm going to keep going with more news next episode.